on today's Daily Charge Supercharged Edition. Taking your voicemails, talking the best dongles, speculating what's next for video devs now that we are sans E3, and figuring out our Wu-Tang Clan names. We actually are learning that there's a lot of Dashlane users in the chat today on YouTube, yeah. which I find interesting. Um, not to rule out LastPass, 1Password, and a thousand and other uh, different ones. The one that caught my eye, though, and I want to give the award of the day to our, our YouTube friend, Will Barry, who says, use the Wu-Tang name generator for your password. Laura, is that a good idea? <laughs> I, I don't know exactly what that is, but I know that there are some kind of approaches that's more like a password recipe, and that helps you like kind of use something about the website to create a unique password that follows a pattern across all your accounts, and that's fine. I would call that perhaps adequate, but it isn't. I mean, you're gonna some accounts are gonna fall through the cracks. You're still gonna reuse an account or a password here or there. You're going to forget about, you know, what your recipe means when you get to some random website or a service that you have to use for work. You know, it's fine. But generally, a password manager is is a better system. Thank you for that input. Dreifer Unfortunable. That is apparently your official Wu-Tang name, according to the Wu-Tang name generator. So if anybody <laughs> needs a new password right now, uh, that one's taken. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and run through my name. Uh, anybody out there still watching and listening Use the Wu-Tang name generator, put it in the chat, tweet at us. I want to hear what your Wu-Tang name is. And we'll come back to this time and time again. Uh, as we keep going through the chat to fish out some more questions and comments from all you wonderfully lovely people, uh, let me remind you the important uh, news of the day is that today is Douglas Adams' birthday. Oh. 42. And uh, before we move any f more forward, I did want to address that we got this really great uh, email or voicemail, sorry, from our friend Andy who wanted to talk about dongles coming off uh, yesterday's show uh, when we had Shankland on. So this is a good time, and let's, uh, let's go ahead and have a listen. Hi, guys. Loved your piece on security today. Could you please do a comparison of the, uh, the best dongles and the prices and stuff like that? Because this is something I really want to do. Okay, my name's Andy. You do a great job. Love you. Keep it up. Thanks, Andy. Uh, yeah, Love so you too, we, Andy. I did. I did actually uh, ping Stephen Shanklin about this, and Laura, feel free to weigh in afterwards. But his suggestion was the uh, for 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 you to look into Yubico YubiKeys uh, and the Google Titan keys. I don't know the prices, so I don't know, Laura, if you could help me with that. But uh, he he said he explains that these are probably the best models because they have active software development and security programs, uh, and you know Google has sort of an open source key software program. It's great for transparency, extra scrutiny, and external contributions. So that's why he likes Titan in particular. Uh, Alfred mentioned, just for convenience sake, uh, using your phone as a security key is a good option. But uh, right now, as, as far as I understand, I think Android has kind of a leg up on being able to use it more. It, it, Google has actually integrated some of the stuff into uh, Android, whereas Apple is, uh, while they intend to, I think they're a little bit behind in terms of getting into iOS. Uh, Laura, anything else you want to add on the, the security key question? Yeah, using your phone as, as your security key is like really promising in the future. We're not there yet where you can use it consistently across all your accounts. Um, you know, I use a Yubico brown brand YubiKey and it's it's easy and fine. I think a lot of the price differences among these have to do with whether they can work remotely, whether they can work with mobile uh, or use NFC to connect or whether you just have to 
put it in the USB drive and, and tap it. So it's just about features, I think. And uh, I think if you are starting out and just want to see how it works, you can get something less expensive. And if you are like, this is going to be my life now, you might want to opt for something that allows for a little more convenience. I feel like for me, like having a Bluetooth option would be kind of a no-brainer as opposed to just yeah. plugging it in. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have it, and it is annoying because it's on my keychain, and the keys just kind of get in the way when I'm trying to tap it. They're yep. like not allowing the uh, security key to have free range of motion. So uh, I definitely, if, if you can spring for that uh, option, I would recommend it. There you go. Thanks, everybody, and thank you again, Andy, for including that question, uh, keeping this conversation going here on the show. Um, and thank you, Laura, for the look at the dongles. Uh, next question we're taking is from Timothy. He says, for personal password habit, use passwords uh, n not in your own language. So if you speak English, make something in Spanish or French. Hmm. Uh, hackers use the English dictionary to brute force hack these. Laura, what's your perspective on this one? This is kind of a new new perspective on me. I think that's true. And I mean, hackers do use the dictionary. But if you use a phrase in English that's multiple unrelated words, uh, then you're in really good shape. I mean, doing it in Spanish or another language uh, that your keyboard allows would be next level. But, uh, you know, even in English, if you're using, you know, two, three, four words in your passphrase, you're in good shape. Excellent. Um, moving on, the next question is coming from Opinion, which I still think is a great name. Uh, I use Safe and Cloud Password Manager. Uh, haven't talked about that one yet. Any opinions on this one? He's a big fan. Yeah, I haven't tried that one yet, uh, but I, I think it's great that there are so much competition in this space. Uh, it's something that people are going to be hopefully seeing more in their lives. I know that, uh, for example, one password is hoping to expand uh, not just into the uh, into the enterprise space so that people are using them at work and get used to them there, but also offering more personal accounts through those corporate accounts so people can use them in their personal lives too. Uh, you know, password manager usage is pretty low right now. Like I think Pew found that it was about 3% of people primarily use password managers to store all their passwords. and you know, since they're such a good tool, they definitely have some drawbacks. They're not always convenient, but they are the best way to be secure with passwords. Uh, you know, if more people do encounter them, uh, I think that's great. Awesome. All right. We have about a mm, little less than 10 minutes left. And uh, there are some questions coming up about E3. Let's stay on the password topic for just a couple more minutes. Uh, Timothy also says the Beth method I have seen is in the infernal or uh, sorry, infernal internal affairs movie where they use the Morse code method. Is that a real thing? Oh, the, is that infernal affairs? Is it infernal affairs? I thought it was internal affairs. No, no it's, it is well, infer infernal affairs. I it think it's referring affairs. to a Hong, the Hong Kong film. Yep. Um, that is infernal affairs that there, there was a Morse code tapping thing. I don't know if that was a password. I think it was just a form of communication. Like he was, Tapping the cast his, of his broken arm and it had uh, and tapping in Morse code. Uh, that's that's kind of extreme. I don't know if like you can do Morse code as a password. I I don't remember that scene if that was the case, but I don't know, Laura. Is that is that a thing? Can you like translate Morse code into a password? Is that even possible? Well, so here's the thing: Morse code would probably just break down into two digits, right? Kind of like binary. It's it's yeah. uh, dot dash. So I would say that's less secure because then you're not you're not trying to 
hide what your password is when you log in. You just want to have a, a complex password when you log mm. in. So it, you know, if you're using by if you're using something that's essentially binary, that, then that really limits the number of characters you could have. So I don't really see that working for passwords. It is it is a cool code. It is, and also Infernal Affairs is an excellent movie. Um, if you haven't watched it, you should definitely definitely watch it. The, I'm ashamed. Uh, Scorsese remake was was inferior in my opinion. I'm I'm ashamed. I've never seen it. I'm I'm channeling my inner Alfred today. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, another one coming in says companies should incorporate single sign-on through their network to make it easier on the user. They only authenticate it again uh, if used outside the magnet. Do any companies actually use that? I know we don't hear uh, at CBS, Viacom, whatever the heck we are these days. Uh, but is that a practice that might be uh, uh, starting to to grow and increase? Well, yeah, we actually, actually, we do. We, we do use it. We here, do. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> apparently, then I'm outside of the loop. Uh, inform me, educate me. <laughs> yeah, so we use Okta. Um, but yeah, single sign-on is, is, I mean, you have to connect your apps to the single sign-on service. Mm-hmm. So you can independently log into your own Twitter account or whatever, or you can connect it to Okta and just click on the Twitter um, icon on, on your Okta page and it'll log you in automatically. That's how you log into Slack and other things. Uh, and it's actually, it is a great service. And uh, single sign-on in a corporate world is very secure. Um, and you, you're you trusting that corporate service with essentially the credentials for your accounts. There's something similar for regular people through Google or Facebook or these other, or Apple too, the, that you can use your identity with those companies to log into your other accounts. The catch is that you have to feel comfortable telling Google, Facebook, or Apple, or whoever what your other accounts are mm. and what your credentials are. And some people don't feel comfortable with that. So that's just kind of the the question there that people have to ask, you know, I, would I be willing to do that? Great, great conversation yeah. happening so far. Um, next one. Uh, Ryan says, I will definitely let my wife have access to my password manager should something happen to me uh, where a request gets sent. And if you don't reply, she can still get in. Uh, cause if not, she might miss a bill or something like that. Now that's something that I have explored recently myself is that not to sound super morbid, but post-mortem, um, yep. access to accounts, things like Gmail, social networks. Laura, do you have any advice on that? And are there any inherent security risks when using this kind of a program? So, yeah, actually a lot of the major services let you designate someone who will have access to your account in the event of your death. And it's it's a good idea to set those up. Not every account has it though. So uh, you could also consider finding a way to share those passwords with a loved one in the event of your death. Um, there's lots of ways you could go about that. You could just put it in a locked drawer and tell them where it is and they can find it if they need to. Um, you know, you could give them access to a special vault in your password manager in the event of your death. Uh, so that is definitely worth thinking about. The security risks, I mean, in any in any situation where you're sharing your password, you do have to ask yourself, you know, am I really comfortable sharing a password with this person, whether, whether you're alive or dead? Um, you know, <laughs> more, it's more relevant if you're alive. You know, there are situations like domestic violence and abusive relationships where it is it is dangerous to share your mm-hmm. passwords. Um, and domestic violence advocates do uh, kind of warn of the risks and and try and work to help uh, survivors of domestic violence extricate themselves from shared accounts with their abusers. So that is one thing to think about. Excellent. And uh, we have a question coming in from Periscope from Ron Gio. He says, is it true 
that it's better to use just all letters in place of numbers when constructing a password? What is the right recipe when trying to come up with a, a good password with simple alphanumeric and special characters? Uh, numbers are fine. Uh, the, I, and actually, a lot of password managers will tell you, will help like put numbers in a different color than letters, which is super helpful when you've got, you know, the the number zero and the, the letter O, for example, mm. um, or one in lowercase L. That can be really confusing. But the more characters, the better, because what you've got there is more complexity. And so if some hacker is trying to run through every possible password, adding more complexity would make that a lot harder. Got it. Uh, I want to take another look at our YouTube chat and uh, coming in, we have some questions about E3 uh, from our live audience. Timothy says, any canceled major conferences will definitely affect the local economy. Uh, will this make companies change the meaning of a conference and move towards that kind of virtual conference? And being that it's gaming, how many do we think we're going to try to jump ship and do AR VR streaming? <laughs> AR VR streaming, I think we're we're ways off from that. Uh, just because if they streamed in AR VR, the audience for that would be so tiny, it wouldn't really be worth it right now. Uh, but I do agree that uh, remote streaming will probably be an option. I mean, all of this, if nothing else, this is really pushing folks to one work remotely, and two for companies looking to to make announcements or or have a big presence at a conference, really look at web streaming, live streaming options for uh make for disseminating their announcements. So I expect, you know, if Microsoft Microsoft was expected to share a lot more news on uh Xbox was it Series X? I can't I keep forgetting the name. Xbox Series X. Yes. Yes. Xbox One or Xbox Series X. Anyway. Series X. Thank you. Sorry. Uh so like we're expecting details of that. I, I suspect Microsoft will still want to share those details. It'll just be through a different medium do some sort of online broadcast. They were already doing this stuff online anyway, um, but they're probably just going to focus a lot more of their resources into making that presentation as uh, really as palatable for online viewers as opposed to folks on the ground. So a lot more a lot more of that. I think there's got a lot more thinking that's going to go into that presentation. And in that same mindset, do we think this is going to have longer-term implications? Are we going to see more and more splinter conferences where maybe instead of having a giant E3, we see more Nintendo Directs or, it's, you know, would Sony do that kind of thing? We've seen this starting to happen, uh, like, here at CNET and Roadshow. We covered the Geneva Auto Show, which got canceled, and then every automaker went and broke out and did their own individual yep. stream because it's not that hard to do. The te technology's there. Do we think that that's going to be kind of a new trend set going forward in, in lieu of these, you know, hopefully we don't spend the rest of our lives in an epidemic, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I think that's something companies are going to seriously consider. The biggies like Sony, they can afford to go out and have their own event. They're going to hold a PlayStation 5 event sometime later this year. People are going to show up, guaranteed, right? I think it's more of the smaller publishers, the independent uh, game makers that would need something like E3 as a platform for them to make their announcements, right? Because that's, that's what brings in the crowds. Um, so there's still some value in having these conferences, but I, I agree. Like some of these bigger companies uh, will start thinking more seriously about whether or not to do more of this stuff online. Like you said, Nintendo already does it with Nintendo Direct. You know, they've always had a token presence at E3, but it hasn't really been a legit one. Like they, they do most of their announcements online or live streamed. Yeah, it'd be interesting just to see where this trend kind of does take us. But thanks, everybody, for your input on the topic. Hopefully we'll have some more uh, definitive answers and coverage and figure out how many of these streams that we're going to have to break out here at CNET just to pick them up all over again. So 
Uh, before we go, I want to give a shout out to Attacker Insensitive, Simeon Philosophic, Thunderous Desperado, and Roger FYI, your Wu-Tang name is Mercenary Chromatic. Hey, all right, I'll take it. And mine, I don't even know, is this even a word? I'm Believer Waiter Invasive. Okay, I'll take it. That's All a right. good note to go out on. Laura, thanks again for making time for us today. Hopefully we get you back on again soon. Take care. Stay safe. Stay well. And uh, we'll be back, everyone, tomorrow. Roger, go ahead and take us home. Yep. Uh, before we go, though, we'd ask you to please, please, please like, subscribe, share, and ring the bell if you wouldn't mind. If we missed something here today or you couldn't catch a live show and have a burning question, leave us a voicemail at 862-250-5173. If you want to learn more about today's topics, you can check the links to all today's stories in the description below. The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for joining us. Bye.